Welcome to The Art of Social Media, a podcast by Social Pilot. We host in-depth discussions with world-leading social media marketing experts that will help you discover the techniques, strategies, and skills you need to use to grow your business using social media. Now, here's your host, Tejas Mehta. Today on the show, we have Rand Fishkin. Rand is a very popular person. He's a co-founder and CEO of audience research software called SparkToro. Previously, he was the co-founder and CEO of Moz, an SEO software, as well as a great community for search marketers. Rand, you also wrote uh, Lost and Founder. It's called a Painfully Honest Field Guide to Startup World, and I'm excited to read that one as well. Lesser known detail about you is you were also co-founder of Inbound.org with Dharmesh Shah, and that turned out to be a great community, which you eventually sold to HubSpot. Rand, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show. We are happy to have you. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me, Tejas. Good to be here. Wonderful. I'm going to start with uh, some difficult ones, Rand. In your experience, right from Moz to SparkToro, broad strokes, how has marketing changed as a whole in general? And then how has social media changed in particular over the years? Yeah. I mean, marketing is evolving very fast, always has. I think the internet sped that up dramatically, but probably the biggest changes are on the channel front and on the user expectations front, consumer expectations or business expectations. So from 1950 to 2002, a lot of expectations were quite similar among consumers and businesses as far as what they'd get with products. And that has changed dramatically. I think that the uh, widespread adoption of you know, computer use and then, and then smartphone use and of digital speeds and a broadband has just made it that such that people expect much more instantaneous, much more user-friendly, high-quality user experiences throughout their buyer journey. And that includes all the parts of marketing as well. And on the platform and channel side, we basically went from a universe, you know, say 20 years ago, where there were on the internet a vast number of places where you could do marketing of all kinds to a world in which most people think of marketing as happening almost exclusively on Facebook and Google, but maybe if you're in e-commerce, also Amazon. And that's not to say that all those other channels have disappeared, just that because it's easy and convenient and they're really good at sort of tracking people and analytics, most businesses throw 90% plus of their marketing budget towards just digital advertising. I think that's a dumb move personally, but that is a trend that we've absolutely seen and it's a frustrating one. So those are the two big changes I'd say. Indeed, the customer expectations have grown up drastically. People have seen sophisticated marketing. So it's really difficult to make a dent in marketing unless you have great budget and you know all the big guns. But how does that impact smaller brands or newer brands? How would a newer brand entering the market today really make an impact in marketing, especially on the social channels? I think big brands have two advantages, and those are already existing brand awareness. So when people think of the problem that that brand solves, they already have that brand in mind, right? When I think of toothpaste, there's a couple of names, right? Whatever, you know, Colgate or Aquafresh that come to mind automatically. And so if you're a challenger to any of those, a, a startup, a new company, a new brand, you have to build that brand awareness. So that is advantage one. The second advantage is that those big brands have a lot of dollars. So they can put a tremendous amount of money toward marketing. And even if that marketing is not very 
efficient or effective, they can blanket a lot of channels with those dollars. I think your big advantage is when you are small, when you are competing with those giants, your creativity, your risk-taking willingness. Most big brands are very conservative and unwilling to take risks in terms of their messaging, in terms of their content, in terms of their marketing strategy. And you also don't need massive amounts of customers, new customers from each channel you invest in, which means you can go, you can afford to go one by one into the sources of influence that reach your particular audience and earn a small number of customers. And that still has a big return for your brand because, you know, for a company like, like mine, right? Like SparkToro, $10,000 in sales is very meaningful. And for a company like Salesforce or Brandwatch, it's useless, right? They probably wouldn't even bother to invest in a channel that returned them $1 million in sales. That's just too small. So those are your big advantages as a challenger. So what I'm hearing, Rand, is uh, if I'm a small brand, instead of kind of carpet bombing all the channels, should I like focus on one channel, you know, leverage it and then move to another one? If you're a small brand, I think the best way to go is to focus on not necessarily one, but a handful of channels that are good matches for you in particular, right? So the audience that resonates most with your product and with your brand and with your unique value proposition is on those channels, is participating in them. You are uniquely good at reaching people through those channels, right? Maybe whatever it is, you know, Colgate toothpaste is great at television advertising, but you're really good at Twitter or you're really good at Instagram, or you're really good at TikTok, or you're phenomenal with content on a blog or with research and data that turns into PR, right? So I would pick one or two, maybe three of those channels that you feel like you can provide really unique value. Your audience is there and you're doing things that nobody else is doing on them. That's what I would go after. Sure, it makes a lot of sense. One of the challenges that agencies face when they're catering to smaller brands is that the smaller brands want to be everywhere, right? Agencies have a tough time telling them that, hey, let's focus on like a number of channels, as you mentioned, rather than kind of going everywhere and going thin. How do you think an agencies can leverage, you know, one or two channels and convince their audience? Or in other words, uh, how do you think agencies can really kind of leverage the nimbleness of being small and make an impact? Is there a special sauce? I think that it is generally pretty wise if you're on the agency side to explain the challenge, the cost, and the time frame that it takes to get good at one channel and outperform you know, on a single channel. So for example, if your client comes to you and said, hey, we have these 12 channels and we want to be really good at all of them and we want you to take them over and you go, terrific. Now uh, for each of these 12 channels, it's about a six month ramp up period. We're going to put a team on each one each team costs us about $20,000 a month. So that is going to be a quarter million dollars a month for you. And you know, in a year, you should start to see ROI from each of these channels. Or alternatively, we can start with one or two channels. And once we prove the ROI of them, we can jump to channel number three and four and five. So it's up to you. Do you want to take an all-at-once approach or would you rather go more iterative? That's kind of how I would play it. The other way to play it is to say, hey, we're a great agency for whatever, PR and brand marketing. If you want agencies for other things, we can refer you to them. But we are not going to cover these 12 channels. We're going to cover these two. That's what we're great at. That's what you're hiring us for. Let us focus. 
let us do our job. That's where we're going to kick butt for you. Makes a lot of sense. When we talk about ramping up an agency, for example, one of the challenges a lot of agencies are facing today is hiring like great marketing talent. You always had a like great team at Moz, and I'm guessing the team at Sparktoro is pretty great as well. What's the secret of hiring great marketing talent? I'm actually going to pull from other agency founders' experiences. I I haven't run an agency in a long time. Moz was an agency for a few years in the very early years, but the team was quite tiny. We never even did a million dollars in turnover. It became a software company before it was really a successful agency. So essentially, what I have picked up and learned from great agency operators, you know, folks like Chris Bennett at 97th Floor or you know, Patty Mugan out at Ira or, or Will Critchlow and Duncan Morris from Distilled, uh, Will Reynolds from Sear Interactive, all these great agency owners, Lisa Myers, my God, from, you know, built a couple agencies. So I think she just sold her last one uh, last year, but the real secret Verve Search, I think was her agency. The real secret seems to be not focusing overly on trying to find experienced talent, but rather having, you know, maybe a few senior people could be only two or three, could be four or five, and then recruiting very new to the field talent that is, you know, high quality in terms of their personal ethics and and their work quality and their, you know, ability to learn and grow and their empathy and their intuitive understanding of, you know, customer service and marketing and user experience and those sorts of things, but not looking for someone who has four years of SEO experience. Just throw out the years of experience. Hire people who have zero experience at all and train them up and you will find, I promise you, I have seen it time and again, many of the best marketers today that you look at across the field were hired by agencies when they had no experience and they became amazing over their first 12 to 18 months at those agencies. You have to have a a process, I think, internally that is willing to let people go, right? So after three months, four months, five months, "Ah, I don't think this person's quite working out with our team or they're not quite working well with our clients or their their skills aren't quite getting there. You know, here's a nice severance package and we're going to say goodbye. And let's keep recruiting these, you know, fresh to the field. I'm tempted to say young, but I don't want to say young because they don't have to be a certain age. I'm just suggesting that people who are new to marketing, who don't necessarily have experience, maybe they're great writers or, I don't know, they came from, they were a history professor or, you know, they taught middle school science or, you know, whatever it is, like there are phenomenally talented people out there that you can turn into phenomenally talented marketers in a very short amount of time. Interesting. So setting up a process to take up raw talent, in other words, and kind of, you know, really fine tuning them and making them experts in the field. And sharpening that raw talent into your process, rather than having to retrain someone who already kind of thinks they know the field and does it their way, you can build your agency's process and then fit in these folks who haven't done it before. And that produces some really exceptional results. I'm sure a lot of agencies can uh, use that uh, line of thinking, potentially, because right now it's a great resignation time. They would be starting their own stuff. So I think it's a great tip for agencies wanting to scale. You've got to be smart about it, right? You have to like, when you go put your job posting up, you probably want to say, looking for experienced talent that's not necessarily experienced in marketing or, you know, smart folks who are new to the field of marketing. We'll train you. 
we'll get you up to speed and you will be a great marketer a year from now. And you, you know, and putting us on your resume in the future is going to do wonderful things. The other thing about this is that approach tends to be much less costly. A great marketer, right? That Tejas, you or I could hire, right? To work at Social Pilot or SparkToro. It's going to be high, like probably between $150 and $200,000 US per year, assuming they're located in a big metro in the US. That is untenable for most agencies. Like they just can't afford those kinds of salaries. They don't have the margin to do it. But you can hire folks who are not experienced in the field, train them up, and you can do that for half that cost, you know? Interesting. I'm pretty sure that's exciting. Something that, you know, even I can implement at Social Pilot. So thanks for that. As a new brand, what was the strategy for SparkToro? How did you market SparkToro? What channels did you utilize? Yeah, uh, interestingly enough. So for us, even though my previous company was Moz and it was extremely successful on, on the SEO front and, you know, got millions of search visitors a month, I chose to go the other way with SparkToro. So we basically came to the conclusion that in the world of audience research, all the search terms around what we do, but what SparkToro does, basically helping you figure out the sources of influence for an audience and understand their demographics and you know potentially use the data to build personas or, or to do audience intelligence types of stuff or PR types of tasks, content marketing, that all of the terms, all the search terms combined was not that big. Like people don't really search for the problem that SparkToro solves. And so rather than try and build a search strategy, our goal was to build a brand, content, and social strategy in generally that order. So brand meaning we build the brand of SparkToro in opposition to the duopoly of Google and Facebook. So they're kind of the villain for our brand. We feel like you know all the marketing dollars that you're spending and probably many of which you're wasting on those channels that are low ROI, where you know Google is taking 99 cents of the $1 of margin that you make on the products you sell through them, that that's essentially our enemy. And SparkToro is fighting against that by surfacing all the alternative sources of influence that you can find. And so we, we repeat that message over and over through all of the things that we do, through PR, through our website, through content we create, through presentations that I give, or, or podcasts and interviews like this one, or through the blog posts that we create. And then we're essentially using social media, Twitter and LinkedIn being the primary two, but we also use Facebook and Instagram to a smaller extent to reach the audience and to amplify that. And then we rely very heavily on the fact that you can try the tool for free. So we have this kind of freemium model where we have a forever free account that folks can sign up for and get sort of free access to SparkToro forever. And then they can upgrade when they want more data. That's basically the, the system that we use. And it's been very effective. SparkToro is growing over its not quite two years into the product being live, but um, growing faster than Moz grew in its first two years. And you know we don't have venture backing where we use an alternative funding model and uh, there's only three of us, right? The team is very tiny. It's just me and Casey and Amanda, but it's doing quite well. Oh, interesting. Congratulations on all the success. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Very delighted to see a different strategy than Moz and different strategy than SEO. So great work on that. The Art of Social Media is brought to you by Social Pilot. 
To find out more about Social Pilot and how we can give you everything you need to hit your social media marketing goals, visit socialpilot.co. And then make sure to search for The Art of Social Media in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Social Pilot, thanks for listening.